can't see God with the eyes of faith when we sing, and it's, it, it brings us to that sense of, of the presence of God. I'm thankful for Benjamin and all of our worship team and just how important music is in our personal lives and in the church. Colossians 3 says, we teach and sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I want to welcome you if you're visiting. If you have a Bible this morning, we're reading through the book of Amos this summer, and we're in Amos chapter 7. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, we'd be glad to give you one. Just raise your hand, or if you just need to borrow one. This morning, as we look at Amos 7, a thought struck me as I was studying this. It really is helpful when someone gives you a heads up about something coming. On a small scale, it's kind of like when your wife mentions, what do you want to do for our anniversary in a couple of days? And you're like, oh yeah, our anniversary, exactly. What, what do you want to do? And then maybe on a little higher scale, probably lower scale, but just having a heads up about the weather, like, hey, we're going to have a, a Labor Day picnic, but oh, oh, it looks like it's going to be stormy. Maybe we'll make some adjustments. But then on a really large scale, wouldn't it be neat if God told us the future of our country, especially what's going on with what's going on right now. I mean, people want to know, is there going to be Social Security? Um, are, are we going to go to war? Who's going to be the president? You know, is Christianity going to be persecuted? It really would be awfully nice if we knew exactly what was going to happen in the future. And, and God certainly doesn't owe us that, but from time to time, he would come down and reveal this is what's going to happen. And that was what, what we have here in the book of Amos. In 750 B.C., God comes to Amos and he says, tell northern Israel this is what's coming and it's coming fast and they need to prepare for it. So Amos's message we saw was so pertinent to, to our culture because he was speaking to a, a, a nation of religious people but these religious people had lost their way. They were going through the motions, but, but the land was full of social injustice, corruption in the court system, extravagant living among the rich to the neglect and persecution and exploitation of the poor. There was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of hostility. It was just a mess. In many ways, much like our culture, much like our country. But God comes and speaks to the nation of Israel through Amos the prophet, and he warns them, judgment's coming, and he calls them to repentance. And the book of Amos really has three sections. The first two chapters we saw, remember God, Pastor Bob did the map and showed how God judged the nations all around, and then he said, and you too, Israel. But then in the last few weeks, we've been looking at three through six, where it's kind of one unit where Amos kept saying, this is what's happening. You people are at ease. You're materialistic. He calls out the, some of the women and the, and the wealthy and the wicked and the hypocrites, and he says, judgment is coming. Well, the end of the book, chapter 7 through 9, Amos shares a series of visions that he had where God actually revealed something to him. And there's an interesting phrase that he keeps using. Look with me in chapter 7, verse 1. He says, thus the Lord God showed me. And then go down to verse 4. Thus, the Lord God showed me. And then he shared another vision. And then down in verse 7, thus he showed me. And then I saw this vision. And it continues. Next week, we're going to look in chapter 8. Thus, the Lord God showed me. And so, there's about five visions that Amos has 
that God shows him, and he says, now, what do you see? And he says, this is what I see. And he goes, and this is the application of it. So this morning, we're going to look at three of these visions that Amos has. So let's pray and then ask the Lord to speak to us because all of the Word of God is profitable for us. Father, thank you. Your Word is alive. It's powerful. It's helpful. It's convicting and comforting. And you promise that your Word won't return void. So today, we ask that you will speak to us and show us wonderful things out of your Word. Lord, not just for our information, but for our transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin the first um, vision here. I want you to think about this. What if somebody were to come up to you and say, hey, what's God been showing you lately? For some of you, you could answer that immediately. You say, oh, I've been reading in the Psalms or I've been thinking about this. For some of you, that, that's like, like weird. Like, what do, you, what do you mean, what's God been showing you? What, what does he show up at your house at night and show you stuff? But we're going to talk about this, that God is still in the business of showing us things. But let's see what he showed Amos and then how it relates to us. So the first vision, verses 1 through 3. Amos says, Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. One of the things that's helpful in understanding the Bible as you're learning to read it is to, you have to learn a little bit about the cultural and historical background. So back then, remember, this is an agrarian society. They don't have 12 different ways to get food. You grow it. And the primary way that, that they lived was off of the farm, the, the, the produce, right? And so if your produce was wiped out, if, if the fields were, were wiped out by a famine or by locust plague, that's going to lead to tremendous hardship. A lot of people are going to die. They're going to starve. And it was very common back then. They, they, they actually, the word here, it was more like a grasshopper. They would have these tremendous plagues of grasshoppers that would just come in and they would devastate the entire crop. And of course, we have pesticides today. We're, we're quote, way, you know, able to care for these things. But God isn't limited in how he can bring a nation to its knees. And so, as, as Amos sees this, and he realizes what's going to happen. He's, he's like in shock. And he, and he says, please, God, don't do that. Look at verse 2. It came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? Jacob would be a, a, a reference to the nation. How can we stand? How can Jacob stand? For he is small. So this is what we call standing in the gap, interceding for someone else. And this is a concept you'll see throughout the Bible. You'll see when God took the children of Israel into Egypt, remember Moses, God said to Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to strike this whole nation down. I'm so upset with them, all the sins they keep doing. And Moses says, please, God, don't do that. I beg you. I intercede on behalf of them. Please think about what the nations around will think. And the Bible says, the Lord changed his mind. And so, Amos stands in the gap and he prays for the nation. And look at verse 3. It says, the Lord changed his mind about this. And he said, it shall not be. And that's pretty, like, mysterious, right? How does God change his mind? Doesn't he already have a plan and a purpose for what he's going to do? Doesn't he have it all drawn out? And the Bible does teach that. Whatever the Lord pleases in heaven and earth, he does. He's not fickle and frail and going, oh, I think I'll do that. No, never mind, I'll do that. He's got it all worked out. But somehow there's this mystery 
that God uses prayer, and our prayers really make a difference in terms of how God acts, ultimately still to accomplish what he had purposed all along. So one of the things that we, we learn from this is that to stand in the gap and pray for things really does matter. I think sometimes when you get a settled understanding of God's sovereignty, like God's doing whatever he wants, sometimes people get sort of fatalistic. Like I've had Christians say to me, doesn't the Bible say God's going to do everything according to his plan? Yeah, well then why pray? I mean, if it's not meant to be, he's not going to do it, so why waste my breath? And somehow we have to remember there's this mysterious tension in the Bible, like James chapter 4 says this, you do not have because you do not ask. So I look at this passage and I, this excites me, this motivates me to pray because I don't understand God's mind is, is so profound, his thoughts are greater than ours, but God uses prayer to accomplish his will. And so I, I want to come back to that later. We want to talk about how can we stand in the gap and pray as Christians today. So God goes, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going not to send this locust plate. Verse 4, second vision. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. So if you've been watching the news, you know those California wildfires, and you'll see these aerial shots of fire sweeping across the, the, the woods. But look at this fire. This fire is so hot and so intense. It says it consumed the great deep. That's usually a term for the ocean. This reminds me of when, when Elijah prayed. Remember, he poured water all over the sacrifice, and then he said, God, show them you're real. And fire came down, it says, and it licked up all the water. I mean, that's a hot fire when the fire is so hot that it, that it devours the ocean. But in this vision, the fire is coming up out of the sea, and it says it can consume the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Now, was this a metaphor? Was this going to be, you know, military people just sacking cities and burning them to the ground? Whatever it was, again, it terrified Amos. And so he sees this and he says, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. And I wonder if in God's, I mean, we can't see what's going on in the, in the unseen realm of spiritual things. But I wonder if there haven't been times where God has looked on America with a purpose to destroy it. In fact, somebody once said, if he doesn't destroy America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I wonder if Christians haven't stood in the gap and prayed for our country, and that's the only thing that has kept God from saying, I'm bringing this proud and wicked nation to its knees. Remember the story of um, Balaam when he was forcing his donkey along and beating the donkey because he couldn't see that the angel of the Lord was standing there with a sword ready to judge. And who knows how God's patience, how his mercy has restrained himself from bringing judgment on America. But again, this motivates me to pray for Christians, to pray for our country. But then a third vision comes, and this time Amos doesn't pray. Amos doesn't say, God, please stop. Look at verse 7. Thus he showed me, and the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And he said, I see a plumb line. And then the Lord said, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. 
I will spare them or pass them by no longer. Now, for me to speak about tools and construction, I'm way out of my league. John Hunter came over this uh, past spring and helped me to build a, um, a woodshed. And, of course, I'll say we build it, but I think John was just being nice, letting me drill a few things, like hoping I wouldn't. My brother-in-law helped me to, we got a new metal door in our kitchen, and he had shimmed it all out and had it all set up, and he was framing and get ready to, to, um, to anchor it to the wall. And I don't know how, but somehow I just bumped against it, and it fell. We had bricks, brick steps outside, so this brand-new metal door painted falls out onto the bricks, bam, 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 down the steps, all scuffed up. And he goes, Tom, do me a favor. He goes, how about if you just go, go away until we're done here? So, <laughs> so I'm not going to get technical here. I mean, most of you know what a plumb line is. It's, it's a string, and, and, and you check to make sure things are at right angles. But you also can look for bulges in the wall. So, so God hangs this plumb line. And I think the idea here is that God has a standard of what's right and straight. And he says, this nation is so crooked, so twisted, so out of plumb that that's it. I'm coming in and I'm not going to put up with this any longer. He says in verse 9, the high places of Isaac will be desolated and the sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste. So the, one of the places that he was going to attack is their religious centers. That would be like God saying, I'm burning this church to the ground. That's the first place I'm coming. Because if you remember, we saw that northern Israel had Burger King, their, their relationships with God. They, they, they took the true worship of God and, and they just made their own adjustments to it. So, so they built their own tabernacle. God didn't say build one in Bethel and Dan, but they built one. Jeroboam the king set up his own priests. God said, you'll only have a priest from the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. But Jeroboam let people buy the priesthood. And so they had their own religion. And it reminds me very much of what's going on in America because there are all kinds of Christian churches nowadays. If somebody was just telling me yesterday, they said, yeah, I was talking to somebody who said, yeah, there's this really um, good church of Christians who practice this and that. And imagine, you know, some of the things that are done under the name of Christianity and so God says, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down these places of hypocritical, twisted Christianity. And then he says, secondly, in verse 9, I'm going to rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now, Jeroboam was a very evil king. You can read about him in the book of Kings, and you find that God himself said, you are so wicked, Jeroboam. None before you have been as wicked as you. And Jeroboam at one point confronted one of these prophets. Amos wasn't the only prophet going, Jeroboam, you're done. Jeroboam in the book of Kings, when, when a prophet rebuked him personally, he called him out and, and he attempted to have him arrested and killed. And the Bible says God withered his arm when he stretched it out. So immediately he was crippled in his right arm and, and he pleaded with the prophet Please pray for me. And the prophet prayed for him that his arm was healed. So I think in Jeroboam's mind, when he heard this message that, that Amos was saying, you're going to die, Jeroboam, that he, was, he had a little bit of reluctance this time to just say, fine, let's kill Amos. So, so look what happens, verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you. 
in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure his words. Now, the first question I have is, who is Amaziah, the priest of Bethel? Well, what we learn from the Old Testament, book of Kings, is that these guys were not set up by God and that Jeroboam allowed people to become priests by buying that position. Okay? In, in the Old Testament, God says, no one takes the honor of priesthood to himself, but he's appointed by God. It wasn't a democracy where you go, hey, I want to run for priest. God selected people. But in the north, under their Burger King, have it our way religion, Amaziah had probably bought his way into the priesthood. And certainly based on what God says about this man, he wasn't doing it out of love for God or people. He was doing it as a way to make money. And, and that's kind of sad when you think about it that there are a lot of people that use Christianity as a way to make money. The Bible says that in 1 Timothy 6. It says, in the last days, there will be evil men who use godliness as a means of gain. And you're like, people do that? Do you not watch television? Have you ever never turned on some of these TV preachers? Has, and I'm not saying they're all like this, but has it not struck you how many of them, no matter what the subject they're on, within five minutes they're talking about sending them money, you know, and God's, send me your seed money, and, 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 and is it not striking that you look at like Christian publishing companies and you say, gosh, they want how much for those books? Whenever, whenever uh, sometimes you you look at the price of Christian books, you, you just want to hold your hands up. Like, I, I feel like I'm being robbed, right? And, and then you look at Christian concerts and, and Christian entertainment, and you go into Christian bookstores, and you can buy Jesus underpants for your, for your kids and Jesus trinkets. And, and I wonder if, if, if our culture hasn't sort of gone, wow, you know, there's money to be made in Christianity. In fact, I had a guy say to me one time, he said, boy, you're, you're, you're a pastor, there's good money in the cloth, like, really? Like, people do that? Yeah, they do. People go, you know, I'm thinking about going into computers, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a pastor. You know, that's a, that's a pretty comfortable, you know, I, that's a well-paid. Really? So, because Amaziah had that greed, he assumed that that's why Amos was a prophet. He's like, I know what you're doing. You're, you're, you're doing this prophecy stuff just like I am to make a buck. Get out of here. You're not from around here, are you, son? Go back down south. You're from Judah. Go preach down there and make a living. Don't come up here and cut in on my territory. So, so look what he does. He tells Jeroboam that Amos has conspired against him. Now, that's the charge of treason. This is a conspiracy, which in my mind, I don't see that. I don't see anywhere in the book of Amos that Amos was preaching, hey, let's have a coup, overthrow Jeroboam. He's just saying, hey, this is what God told me. And it reminded me how easy it is to, to sometimes speak evil of other people. We all are tempted to do that, to sort of gossip, to sort of try to tear others down. And, and, and the Bible teaches us that when we have a problem with someone, you go to them personally. And so we, we, we build a culture of unity and peacemaking and, and try to go, Lord, help me not to, to speak evil about others. And if someone comes to you and, and misrepresents or is speaking, you say to them, hey, have you talked to that person? So the first thing, you know, we see here is that Amaziah is falsely representing him. But then secondly, I really want to know what Jeroboam said. 
So Amaziah shows up and he says, listen to what Amos said. He said, you're going to die. You're going to go into exile. You need, to, you need to punish him. I don't know what Jeroboam said. But look at verse 12. Amaziah decides he's going to personally go to Amos. So Amaziah comes and he confronts Amos and he says to Amos, go away, you seer. See verse 12. A seer, that was a, an Old Testament word for a, for a prophet. And it was a respectable term. It wasn't like, hey, you fortune teller. Like, seers were considered men of God, and people would consult seers. They would even give them money. Like, hey, can you tell me what's happening? So he says, go away, you seer. Flee to the land of Judah. He's kind of like in Sweet Home, Alabama. Remember when the snotty mother-in-law says to Reese Witherspoon, why don't you says to her mom, why don't you go back down south in your double wide and fry some chicken, right? Like, go back to Judah. But notice what he says, and there eat bread and do your prophesying. Now, he wasn't talking about the cuisine and the culinary treats of the south. He's saying, go make a living through this prophecy stuff, you professional prophet who's up here just trying to get money from us. And Amos is like, no, let me, let me have a time out here. He says, no longer prophesy at Bethel. It's a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Well, that might have been what he thought of it, but that's not how God looked at Bethel. So Amos says, can I get a time out here? He says, number one, you need to understand something, Amaziah. I ain't up here for the money. I already had a respectable trade. Look at verse 14. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet. Now, at first you're like, wait a minute. Yes, you are. Amos, you're a prophet. In fact, interestingly, in Hebrew, this could be translated, no, I'm a prophet. And I think that's probably what he really meant. He, he's not saying that he's not a, a true prophet sent from God. What he's, what he's going to say here is, I'm not a professional prophet. I'm a lay prophet. I'm not doing it, pardon my pun, for profit. So, so notice what he says. I'm not the son of a prophet, and we'll keep reading. Notice the next phrase. He says, I'm a herdsman. Now, remember in chapter 1 when Pastor Bob pointed out that, that the word that's used here is he's not just like a shepherd. This is like he's kind of middle class. He, he oversaw other shepherds, and he was a grower, or some translations say a nipper of sycamore figs. It's kind of funny, but back then, fig trees as they were developing. You know, when you get your fig newtons, to get the best figs while they're ripening, they would go around and cut each one of them because when you nipped or cut these figs, you actually would make them sweeter and softer, right? You don't want hard fig newtons. And so he had a respectable trade. He goes, here's my profession. I was just a herdsman to grow a sycamore tree, so I'm not here to make money. He said, the reason I'm here, verse 15, the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. I'm up here because God loves you. Now, read that phrase again. The Lord took me from following the flock. If you've read through the Old Testament, you might, does that, does anybody, does that ring a bell? The Lord took me from following the flock, and, and, he, and he placed me over you to shepherd you. That, that's what David said. I wonder if, if Amos wasn't thinking along the lines of David. I, I wasn't looking for a job. God came to me, and out of his love for people, he said, I want you to go and, and speak to the nation of Israel. 
So then God reveals to, to Amos, Amaziah, this was a really bad idea. And it really is, and, and I'll just say this, it is really a bad idea to oppose the word of God. It is enough to resist the word of God personally, but to oppose the word of God and try to prevent God's word from getting to other people, that's a bad road to go down. And we see that in the Bible. Remember the story of Korah, the rebellion of Korah in the Old Testament where he comes to Moses. He says, who do you think you are, Moses? You're no better than the rest of us. You think you're the only one that can speak for God. And he begins to hinder Moses from communicating the word of God. And Moses falls down on his face. And the next day, God sends fire down from heaven and he opens the earth and swallows up Korah. And then you come over to the New Testament. You see the Apostle Paul in Acts 13. He's on the island of Cyprus. And he begins to witness to a very influential Roman official, Sergius Paulus. And the Bible says that the wicked man Simon came along and he sought to oppose, turning the proconsul away from the faith. See, this is nothing more than being Satan's helper. It's bad enough to be Satan's captive. But when you volunteer to be Satan's helper and you start saying things to people like, ah, you shouldn't listen to the Bible. Who do they think they are? You're raising the stakes of your judgment. And so when this man opposed Paul, Paul said to him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, how long will you pervert the way of the Lord? And he called blindness upon that man. And so God sometimes... This ought not to surprise us that he did it. It ought to surprise us how often he restrains himself from saying, look, I just brought this young man to Christ and now his parents are opposing him. Remember Jesus said, if you cause a little child to stumble who believe in me, it would be better for a rock to be held around your neck and tied on your neck and thrown in the sea. So, so I don't think so much that we as believers are doing this, but, but there's something we can learn and that is that as we're trying to communicate the word of God to people, there's always going to be Amaziahs. There's always going to be somebody who's going to give you a hard time. It might be a family member. It might be a co-worker. It might be a neighbor. I mean, bad enough that, that they themselves aren't interested, but I personally have seen this on numerous occasions where people have said something mean and insulting, and they weren't even in the conversation. Satan hates when the, when the message of the Word of God is, is out there. But notice, God was very severe with Amaziah. Look at verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord. Well, verse 16, I'm sorry. Hear the word of the Lord. You who say you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Thus says the Lord. Your wife's going to become a harlot. This is what God's going to do to you. And not only that, your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Because pretty soon, Assyria was going to come and conquer them. Your kids are going to die. And then third, your land will be partialed up by a measuring line. And fourth, you priest who's supposed to be concerned with cleanness, you're going to die upon unclean soil. And by the way, God told me to say Israel's going into exile, and you go, shut up, that's not going to happen. You can mark this down. Israel will certainly go into exile. You're like, wow, that's scary. I think, right? That's what happened to him. So I read a chapter like that and I go, Lord, what, what is there for me as a Christian? And this is one of the things that we really, I, I hope that you're, you're, you're doing is that you're reading the Bible and when you get done a passage of scripture, 
you know, the, the Bible's not like a, a little book of, of, of fables, and at the end it says, therefore, do unto others. A lot of times we have to stop and, and pray and say, Lord, what is there for me here in this passage? What promise or warning or, or exhortation? How is this pointing me to Christ in the gospel? So I want to suggest two main things that we can take away from this passage as we watched Amos stand in the gap. And I'd love for you to jot these down because I'm going to give you some, some things to be in prayer about this week and to kind of add to your prayer life. Number one, I think this passage really helps us to realize that you and I should be asking God to show us things. See, when Amos said, this is what the Lord showed me, this is what the Lord showed me, this is what the Lord showed me, we should be asking God to show us things. And, and I want to show you this from the Bible. Don't take my word for it. So I'm going to suggest a number of things that, that I think God wants us to, to pray. Number one, ask God to show you more of himself. Ask God in your prayers, Lord, show me more of yourself. And I'll give you some examples. In the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 18, when God was, was giving Moses the Ten Commandments, this is, what, this is what Moses said. He said, Lord, I pray to you, show me your glory. I, I want to see more of you, Lord. And then in Colossians 1, Paul prayed for the Christians. He said, I'm praying that you'll increase in the knowledge of God. So there is this rich experience as a Christian where we're saying, God, I want to know you more. I, I want to grow. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Make that part of your prayers. God, as I'm reading the Bible, show me more of yourself. There's, there's a mystery here, but there's something sweet. And, and, and all of us who know Christ can testify to this, that the Lord discloses himself to us. Not like... Jesus is going to show up at your, at, your, at, at your bedpost and go, what do you want? You know, ask me for three things. But, but as we're walking with him, remember the song, I come to the garden alone, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he, and he tells me that I'm his own. That's what we're asking God to do. Jesus said in John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And he says, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. So it's, it's asking God, Lord, show me more of yourself. Instead of going, God, bless, you know, let me get a new car, let me get a big house. Lord, I want you. Show me more of yourself. There's a second thing that we can ask God to show us. Ask God to show us more of his blessings to us in Christ. More of his blessings to us in Christ. See, there's an unseen world that we lose sight of if we're not careful and prayerful. The Bible says we need to walk by faith, not by sight, because what we see is temporary. What we don't see is eternal. So from time to time, God will open our eyes. Like remember the story of Elijah when the chariots of fire were around the mountain and his servant goes, we're going to die. And, and Elijah says, we're not going to die. And he prays, God open his eyes and he sees all these angels around protecting him. So, so when I say ask God to show us our blessings, this is how Paul prayed for the Christians. He told them in Ephesians 1 that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, right? But then he prayed for them, and here's a passage. I really want to encourage you maybe even to memorize this. I've memorized it. It's just very fruitful when you pray. He said in Ephesians 1.15, this is what I pray for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And with your eyes enlightened, he says, I pray that you will know three things. 
So here's some things to pray for. He goes, I pray that God will help you to know the hope that comes out of his calling. As you and I become more convinced that God has called us and that we are saved, it, it inspires within us a greater excitement about heaven, a greater anticipation of seeing Jesus, a greater sense of saying, you know what? I could care less about fantasy football because my mind is, and I'm not saying there's anything evil about that, but we just get so worked up about silly stuff that doesn't matter, and we spend little time thinking about the hope of our calling and what a joy it is to be called by God and what a bright future we have. And please stop looking at me like, yeah, that's right. Like, God, please help me to be excited about heaven and what's coming. He sa- and then he says this, and I pray that God will help you to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Like, pray, God, help me to realize the blessings I have in Christ. You know, remember Scrooge McDuck? He would jump off the diving board into his swimming pool that was loaded with gold coins, and he would just sift them through his fingers and go, I'm rich, I'm rich. But as a Christian, this is what we're praying. God, open my eyes so that I will realize that though I might have problems in this life, I might not be the best looking, I might have health problems, I might have a tough marriage, I might have a tough job, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, but God, thank you for the riches of the glory of your inheritance. I have so much in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm forgiven. I have promises that all things work together for good. I have Christ with me in my loneliest moment. I'm rich. And then third, as you think about his blessings, Paul says, and I pray that you'll know the surpassing greatness of his power towards you. And so I go, God, I'm really struggling with this. I want my thoughts to be better, but I can't seem to change them. But when we say can't, I can't stop this addiction. I can't change the way I act. God says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So asking God, Lord, help me to see your power. And sometimes we're like, I want to have power to cast out a demon. And I'm going, I want to see the power of God to help me to love my wife and not be so selfish. To see people stay in difficult marriages. To see people who are addicted to substances experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, yeah, I'm still tempted, but I don't have to do that anymore. To see people who are going, I can't get over this anger. Going, but Christ is helping me. There's no sin, there's no struggle, there's no trouble, no burden that the power of the Holy Spirit can't help us with. But we need to pray. God, show me your power. Let me experience it in the little things. I think of mothers as I watch my, my daughter with her three little ones, four or five, or yeah, four, two and one, and the insanity of diapers and craziness, and you feel like, I just am overwhelmed. That's where God's power comes in to give you a cheerful attitude and to, to be patient and, and to, for young people to be obedient to their parents instead of going, my parents are stupid, they don't get it, things aren't like that. These are the things that God's power can do as we pray, Lord, show us your blessings. And then a third thing we can ask God to show us is wonderful things in his word. Let me be the first one to say, there are times, I just told my wife this, I said, I kind of felt like lately it's been dry when I was reading the Bible, so I've been reading some of Spurgeon's sermons. But I want to say this. If you're bored reading the Bible, what do you do about it? Do you go, well, that's why I don't read it anymore. It's boring. Instead of doing that, this is what David prayed in Psalm 119, verse 18. He said, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. If you and I are so sorry 
that all we ever do is read the Bible because we're supposed to, we need to ask God to change our hearts. God, help me to want to read the Bible because I want to, because you have wonderful things in there to show me. You're going you're to answer a question I had. You're going to give me a promise. You're going to give me some direction. Ask God to teach you and, and open your eyes and cause you to be excited. What's God showing you lately? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't really read the Bible. Ask God to, to awaken you. And, and I get it. We go through these dry times of the soul, but don't, don't just sit there doing nothing and don't go, you know, I've already heard this stuff. When your favorite song comes on, you don't turn it off because you've already heard it. Ask God to wake us up to, to reading our Bibles and, and, and seeing things in Scripture. Like, this is exciting. And then one other thing we can ask God to show us is more about his will for our lives. The psalmist said this in Psalm 86, 11, Lord, show me thy way. Teach me your paths. I will walk in your truth. And then he actually prayed, Lord, unite my heart to respect your name. So ask God, Lord, show me what you want me to do personally. I hear Pastor Tom talking about getting involved and doing ministry. God has something for everybody here. All of us, men and women, boys and girls. So pray. Paul prayed it this way, and this is one that I pray for my family. Colossians 1, 9. Write that one down. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Pray that God will show you as well. This is what Paul said. I pray that God will give you a, a, a revelation, he says, into the knowledge of his will so that you can please him in all respects and bear fruit in good works. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to teach children? Show me what your will is. Give me a knowledge of your will so I can please you at work as a parent. Please you with my recreation. Please you with my money. Please you with the way I use my time. Please you with the way I interact with my family and difficult coworkers. So, so let's pray that God will teach us how to ask us, ask him, Lord, show me. Show me yourself. Show me my blessings. Show me your will. Show me things in the word. And then the other main thing I, I want to just take a few moments now as we close is to learn to intercede and stand in the gap, right? I mean, sometimes I feel more like Jonah than Amos. See, Jonah didn't want to intercede and stand in the gap. He's like, give it to Nineveh. Smack them down, God. And when, when, when Amos saw what was going to happen, he didn't say, these wicked people, they deserve it. Give it to them, God. Move over, I'll help. But instead, he, he pled with God. To, he stood in the gap. And so let me share with you three things that you and I can, can, can really seriously intercede for others. They all begin with that so you can remember them. Number one, we can intercede for erring saints, other Christians who have lost their way. Might be one of your kids, might be a sibling, might be a coworker, a cousin. It might be a, a fellow Christian who was part of this church who, who just went off the deep end. They're having an affair or or overcome by substance abuse, or um, just decided that making money's more important than serving God, or there's too much fun out there, or somebody that's involved with an unbeliever, or how, you know, just pray for other Christians who have lost their way. In James chapter 5, there's a really famous verse. It says, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man accomplish much. Right? And we quote that verse, and that's true. But you know what's really striking? Is about two verses later is the last verse of James. Now, he just said, prayer can accomplish much.
But then he says in the last verse of the book of James, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you, a fellow Christian, strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know this, that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I would imagine right now God might be speaking to you about someone you know. And you're like, Lord, I would love to turn them back, but I've tried, I've spoken to them, and I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. Well, let's try something different. Instead of just talking to them about God, let's earnestly begin to talk to God about them. Effectual fervent prayer accomplishes much. If anyone strays from the truth and one turns them back, how do we turn them back? Through prayer. So I want to encourage you this week to think of some people that you know that are away from the Lord and keep praying for them and pray that God will bring them back. So that's number one. Pray for, for saints and churches that have lost their way. Pray for, for spiritual growth. Secondly, pray for our sovereign and our soil. And you're like, okay, that's kind of corny. I'm trying to keep the S here. So turn to 1 Timothy. This will be our last passage. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If ever there was a time to pray for America and our leaders, it's now. So as I stand in the gap, I pray for Christians who have lost their way. And then I pray for this country who's lost its way. Look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. We, we, we all have political opinions and we spend hours talking about all the reasons why we want to see this or that. But how much time do we spend praying for America? Instead of just blasting our president, praying for him, praying for the Supreme Court. Look at 1 Timothy 2. First of all, I urge you that prayers and petitions be made on behalf of all men and for kings and all who are in authority. So we pray for our sovereign. We pray for, he's not a king, but he's our president. And we pray for him. And we pray for our soil. We pray, God, there's Christians in America. And notice what he says that we should pray. He says, pray that we as Christians may lead a tranquil and quiet life. And I think what he means by that is pray that the government doesn't persecute us. Because right now, all over the world, thousands of Christians are being persecuted. I just read something from Voice of the Martyrs. You know where Christians are being persecuted? Syrian Christians are being persecuted in refugee camps, even in places like Germany. Because what happens is all these Syrians who are leaving, some of them are Christians. And now, in this great mass of refugee camps, are Christians among a vast majority of Muslims. And even in these safe places like Europe, these the European countries are, are appointing Muslim guards to oversee the camps, and they're persecuting the Christians. The Christians are appealing to, to have separate housing. So, so Paul says, pray that we will have tranquil lives. But notice, in godliness and dignity, so not just Lord, Keep us from persecution so we can just be selfish and ungodly. But pray for the church, our church, to be godly, to be different, to be loving and holy, not a bunch of, you know, hypocrites or, or judgmental people, but that there would be true holiness in our midst. But then finally, we can intercede for sinners. If ever there was a time to stand in the gap, if you smell the sulfur, and you read the scriptures and you see what hell is like. You don't tell jokes and go, yeah, the devil's going to be mad about the air conditioners. You think about what's coming for people and we fall down and pray for them. 
and God uses our prayers. Look, look at verse 4. Paul says, pray for all men because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God uses prayer to save sinners. So please continue to pray. It's so exciting. Bob and I were just talking. How many different people are coming to Christ? And how many seekers are coming into the church? How many of you people, brothers and sisters, are out there building relationships with unbelievers and talking about the Lord? Keep praying for that. Pray for the power of the Spirit to bring conversions and revival and lost people to Christ. I've been praying for my new neighbor, and I, and I was looking out, and I saw that they have a statue of Mary in their yard. Look at verse 5. It says, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Pray that people will come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel, that it doesn't matter whether you're Protestant or, or Methobacterian, it's Jesus. He's the way. You don't need a priest. You don't need to pray to Mary. We have many religious people who don't know the Lord. Pray for them to be saved. And then we have a lot of non-religious people. Another one of my neighbors is an atheist. And I plead with God, Lord, open his eyes. Pray for lost people to come to Christ. And, and pray for the people of this church. Listen, some of you, when you hear me talk about salvation, you're like, what is that? This, this is what God says in Psalm 50. To him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. If you seek the Lord, if you say, Lord, if you're real and if salvation's real, show it to me. The Lord wants to come and call you to himself. Isaiah said, behold, God is my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song. Please hear me for this. God wants to be your savior. Jesus wants to be your salvation. If you're not sure that you're a Christian, this morning before you walk out that door, God can be your salvation. Jesus can be your savior. He's the only mediator. He's the one through that cross where he died and rose again. He can bring you to a sense of peace and forgiveness. Be praying even as I speak, brothers and sisters. If you, if you want Jesus, if you want to be with God, it's not your religion. It's Jesus who died on the cross and said, come to me. No one comes to God but through me. Put your faith and trust in Christ right now. Say, Lord, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is the way and I want him to be my salvation. And then, like Amos, knowing that God has shown you that, Go home and tell your family, this is what the Lord showed me. He showed me that he'll save you. He showed me that he's the way, the truth, and the life. He showed me that, that we can know we're going to heaven. So let's take a moment and pray. And, and, and then this week, I want to encourage you and pray that all of us will stand in the gap and ask God to show us things. Take a moment right now, and, and as we bow our heads, just ask God to show you himself. Ask him to disclose Jesus in a deeper way to you. Ask him to show you wonderful things in the word and the blessings that are yours in Christ. Ask him to show you his will. What changes, what ministries, what... What does he have for you that you and I might please him? Then let's stand in the gap for a moment. Pray for some erring saint. Think of a Christian you know that's 
away from the Lord and ask God to turn them back, to set them free, to bring them to repentance. Pray for our country. Pray for this coming election as we pray for our soil and our our leadership. Pray that God will turn our nation back to him. And then finally, pray for one lost person that God puts on your heart right now. Maybe it's a child, a friend. Just pray for someone that you know that God will, will show them the truth and that they would be saved. Father, like Amos, this morning we can look at your word and say, this is what the Lord showed me. Father, thank you. Help us to be a church that stands in the gap and longs for you to show us yourself and great things. We love you, we praise you, and we look forward to seeing answers to our prayers for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.